0: Progressive dot com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. OK, so I recently had to get some seizure medication for a friend. And crazily, this medication isn't covered by insurance In fact, the only place this particular type of medicine can be purchased is at a cannabis shop. But luckily, Mary Jane is legal here in California, so I go to the marijuana store. It's well lit, clean, nice, except there's a long line. It feels kind of like waiting at a pharmacy, but the opposite, because most people seem happy. Folk talk to one another, and... When I look around, it's such a cross-section. Men, women, old, young, every race, people in suits, people in flip-flops, the beautiful people, the wretched. And there's more than one Snap fan in the line. Hey, are you the guy from that show? And this, of course, makes me smile because the arenas that different people from vastly different walks of life can converse and show love to each other over our shared humanity, the venues where that actually happens are increasingly few and far between. And who knew that one of those places was in line at the pot club? Well, today on Snap Judgment. From WNYC Studios, we proudly present Love Lessons: Amazing stories where real people with real issues reach over that imaginary barrier. My name is Glenn Washington. And yeah, seeing how I'd gone all that way for my friend's medicine, I may have purchased a little something for myself. Because you're listening. Step judgment. Hmm. We begin with a remarkable story. It starts in 2002, when Mansour was detained at the Guantanamo Bay detention camp. He was only 19 years old, and Mansour had never been in love.
1: i never been in love before, but uh, I wanted to see what it looked like to be in love. So uh, there was a detainee. There was a a detainee who fell in love with one of the guards. So I went to his cell. What's it look like? How you love her? And he said, I would stay all night long just look at her when she was in the tower guarding. I didn't feel pain. I didn't feel tired. I I I didn't want to sleep. I just think about her. I said, "Okay, I want to know more. She is a guard, you're a detainee. She considers you as your enemy. This is like, uh, do you think uh, love uh, play by our rules? Love is love.
0: From our friends at the CBC show Love Me, this story is to my heart.
1: When I was 19 years old, I was shipped to Guantanamo detention. I didn't know where I was. I have no idea why I was there. Imagine your life, you you know nothing, nothing. You ask, what I have done? They said, we didn't know. Our job is just to interrogate you and ask you questions. They told me you you are an Egyptian, uh, your name is Adel, and uh, you are a general. I tried to prove to them I am not. My name is Mansour al-Daifi. I'm a son of a woman. My mother, actually, I love her a lot and she loves me, of course. I have a, a big family. Eight sisters, three brothers. I am from Yemen, actually. Arab peninsula. The country of love. <laughs> actually, uh, they call Yemen, happy uh, Yemen. It's like call Yemen al-Said. In English, it means... Uh, Happy, it's not now, but will be, inshallah. When I was brought to Guantanamo, it was very hard and difficult. Being in isolation, you can't talk to anyone, you can't hear anyone, you can't. You can. I couldn't see anyone there. It's just a steel box, two meters wide cell, no window, only the window f- f- through the door where, where the guards can see you. We have a hole on the ground as a bathroom. We have very bright light. They control everything, sleep, uh, air. And it was really, really loud. Like there's a huge fan, like a helicopter in front of the door, running 24 hours. God, like you can't sleep, you can't do anything. You can even hear yourself. It is like, it's a hell actually. It's like someone use a drill inside your head. They try to separate our minds, our bodies, actually, to break us. Sometimes I used to just put toilet paper in my ears to try to sleep. In jail, you have the routine every day. It kills you. Go to the shower, back to my cell. Always with guards, with shackles, with handcuffs. We are not allowed to talk. We are not allowed to stand. We are not allowed even to look at the guards and... uh, I started uh, uh, protesting our block, and I started to talk, talk loudly and uh, every time they come to beat me and kick my, uh, beat my uh, head against the ground it was bleeding and over, over and over again we, we didn't know about what was going to happen to us there we didn't know for how long in jail you have the routine every day it kills you bright light, interrogation, no window, go to the shower, back to myself, very bright light, very cold, very bleeding. Over and over again. After years we were moved to a, a communal camp, you can see People like uh, in front of you, uh, in your right, in your left, they can see you, I can hear you. Only fans uh, separate us. It's it's like cages. Like, have you seen animal cages in like when you go to a zoo or something? You can talk, you can uh, get your finger out. I'm a social person. I like to be close to the people, know people, like to talk to people. So, imagine. You have like almost... Uh, 780 detainees and uh, 48 nationality. you have teachers you have doctors you have divers you have pilots you have engineers you have soldiers you have all kind of people imagine it is a society actually so we learn from each other <laughs> we started teaching each other uh, classes we gathered around it's of us in his cell I don't start our class, like, I remember we have a journalist from Al Jazeera. He gave us a good uh, course about journalism, how it works, and make an interview, and so on. We have people from a mafia, too. <laughs> they will teach you how to steal a car, to steal a bank. It's something you learn from their experience. <laughs> but, the hardest class was cooking class. In Guantanamo, we had a very little food, and it wasn't well prepared so the detainee started he was a chef before he got to jail and he used to start, okay i'm going to teach you how to cook and okay now we are going to the market we're going to buy onion to buy that and to buy spices okay uh, of course the food wasn't real but we would pretend that it was there we have to live like in our our own world that we created there please cut the prepare the onion please heat the oven this is the like okay now imagine You get burned. It's not like, why I would get burned? It's a part of your cooking. You must get burned. Oh, no, 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 that was like, like, (laughs) We developed a sense of humor, fun. Uh, We made fun of each other, of the guards, of wherever, I mean, like, we, we try not to take it so seriously. Because if you take it seriously, you will never last, you will never last. Most of us were young, so uh, many single detainees started showering those who were married with questions: What the woman look like, how the relationship, what, uh, like all, all questions. In our society, to know more about women is like a forbidden thing. It is very limited information. So, like one of the uh, detainees there, he was watching us, like starving to know about marriage life, about wife, about everything so he decided uh, to start a class here about marriage this professor he was actually he was a father he was a, f- a husband he was a lover actually he was a professor of arabic literature actually arabic literature involved in a lot of love stories and poetry and so on so we found someone who is really expert in that our teacher, he taught us how to flirt, how you talk to the woman, what kind of words, the gifts, uh, body language, face, uh, face expression. This is how you affect the woman. They how, how the woman look at you. That woman perceive you. We were very happy, and the news of the of this marriage class is spread like a flame. And some Disney, they're like so excited, like. Because the idea about women is the bed. It's like the the intercourse with the woman. Like, imagine you don't have sex in your life and this is your first question. (laughs) (laughs) Then from that point, uh, he taught us how to love our family, how to build a family. He tried to get us to appreciate women in our life. He said, I want to ask you questions. Imagine this life, there is no such thing called women, there is no mother, there is no sister, there is no girlfriend, nothing, it's just men, all men. We can't imagine life like that, It was like someone slap you in the face. Well, some of the married people who attend our class, some of them said, we, we are very sorry how we treated our women, really. I'm sorry how we lived. And they started like, think we are going to be different now. One day, when I was writing letters to my sisters, one of the teenies came to me and said, Mansoor, if you were married and you have a wife and you want to write to them to tell them how much you love them, how much you miss them, to uh, keep uh, uh, love alive, what are you going to write? I said, Give me time. I never been in love before. And uh, I never have a wife, but uh, something came to my head, to my heart. Like in Arabic, we have some kind of very good phrase, just like, uh, To my heart. Like, I love you. You are my heart beating. And I started like putting in words. I imagine like a beautiful wife. Uh, I can't tell you, I can give you any details. So stop here. <laughs> so I wrote a letter at the first time. He loved it so much. He sent it to his wife. Then the word spread that I'm writing uh, letters for my brothers. And more detainees came to me. Can you write me this letter? <clears throat> to the love of my life, I miss you. I miss everything They have feelings but they can't put them in words I miss your kisses I miss your dogs I miss your anger And people like my writing It wasn't that good but uh, to my uh, age To my uh, level of education it it seems good I miss those mornings When you used to throw water on my face to wake me up And they get very good feedback And like you can see there is warmth in those letters Sometimes, I ask my brothers to throw water on my face, for the sake of remembering you. I love to wake up remembering you. Some sad moments, of course, we had. When you remember your mother, your sister, even like your friends, your it, it brought you memory to to your freedom, to your real life, to to something you missing. But we try to hide it. If you show it, you will affect yourself and affect other people around you. Like you can see some people tear in their eyes, but they don't want to show it. I remember a guy whose uh, his wife divorced him, and like he loved her so much, he was crying a lot. He was crying like a kid he said like I have no reason to live for we try to we tried to survive we tried to encourage each other and support each other in the best way we could we have nothing there we have only each other
0: you're listening to Snap Judgment and today we're bringing you a very special story from our friends in Canada at the amazing program Love Me. The Love Lessons episode continues right after this break. Stay tuned. Support for Snap Judgment comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the love lessons episode. We return now to Guantanamo Prison, where Mansoor has been incarcerated for several years.
1: One day I was looking at the ground of the, the fence then I saw a little uh, lizard. I never saw one in my life. I never even heard it, it exist. They are very friendly, very social, uh, uh, especially when, like you touch your uh, head like she will bend down <laughs> or touch under the neck. Like yeah, the sensitive uh, places. Uh, give her name. Its name is a uh, princess. So I just called her, come here, come here. She was like, come running to me. I like her so much, really. I used to feed her with my hands, apple or uh, banana or dates. It's one of our uh, tradition as Arabs, especially in, like, in my country in Yemen. If we eat, we must invite everyone around uh, and share our food. We developed a very good relationship with those animals. Birds, we have some birds too. There was snakes. There was uh, we had banana rats too, but then we have cats. They born actually there with us. So we took them, feed them, clean them, uh, shower them, and they look very nice, very clean, smell very nice. If guard caught me feeding those animals, I was punished. But it's okay. I'm like I don't care, because when you feed those animals, you feel love. When you feel love, you feel happiness in your heart. And it's connected to your soul, actually. And it gives you comfort. Sometimes we we'll look at those animals and imagine they were asked, What brings you here, guys? What brings you here with the orange suit? Who are you? Like, why are you in cage? We lived in fear, actually. I went on hunger strike many times there. <laughs> The hunger strike was our peaceful mean to protest our situation there. And when we are in hunger strike, I can see those animals waiting there—cats, iguanas. Like, they just kept looking at us. I felt like embarrassed. I like want to cry because I don't have food. I'm hunger strike. What to give them? It's hard for me. I can't. I can't just watch those animals starving like that. Not feed them. I remember when I started talking to my friend uh, Francis Iguana, a psychologist came to me, a woman. And, uh, are you okay? They used to ask really crazy questions like, do you want to kill yourself? Are you thinking to kill yourself? After like 2010, the rules when the communal living was relaxed and they need have, a, they want to keep us busy. They brought TV shows, movies, magazines. Uh, I watched some, like, Glimmered girls. I watched some uh, sex in the city. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> and uh, one of the good stories I watched, like, Notebook. It was one of the best movies I watched in Guantanamo. Uh, the Notebook is a movie where uh, lovers love each other. The wife, she lost her memory when she got uh, old. And he would go to her and would tell her story every day. I, I can... I. You must watch it. I don't think I'll describe it good, but I think you should watch it. And you will thank me. <laughs> of course, all that affect my view of the woman. Uh, what uh, life I want. What kind of uh, family I would like. What kind of woman I want. I would like to marry a woman who is... Uh, who is better than me? Uh, I don't care if she is a Muslim or Jew or Christian. I don't care; it doesn't matter. And uh, I would like to have two lovely little girls. <laughs> uh, uh, I feel there is like something missing always in quantum. My life's not complete because I've never been with the one before i never been in love before, so I don't know how it feels. There's something I missed. When I was 19 years old, I was shipped to Guantanamo detention. There's like a gap, almost like 15 years there. One day, I was looking at my face at the mirror when I was on hunger strike. I saw some gray hair in my face, in my uh, head. I was shocked. Fifteen years. I remember one day in our marriage class. We made a pretend uh, uh, wedding for one of the uh, detainees. Actually, it was a, tradi- a Yemeni tradition uh, wedding. It was like the end of the class, the big day, the big day, the wedding day. Then we chose one of, of our brothers. He was a little uh, troublemaker. This guy's going to marry today. We agreed on some wife, like she was one of the brothers to be the, <laughs> the bride. And our brother put the sheet around him and sheet in his head like, Yemeni, like a Yemeni wedding Today we have a wedding party We are going to, make, to cook for 300 people All kind of people imagine Teachers, engineers, singers, mafias, soldiers, divers, <laughs> psychologists, budget. chefs Add the tomato, please test the salt, test the meat Okay now add the onion to the oil Shhh Oh god, like with delicious food, real celebration all night long. We sang, we danced on the bed. Just start with the Yemeni dancing, moving to the Afghani, back to the Pakistani, back to the Saudi dancing, and brought it together with some moves. It was like a funny dancing. No, 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 I can't. What no, do you I'm feel? Delicious. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> it was a lovely moment. It was like you live in hell, but in the hell you find some kind of moment like you never ever forget those moments. Even now. In uh, uh, 2016, I was... uh, released I know I am like over 35 now I never charged with anything actually Uh, I remember one of the military board uh, he had a meeting with me the last time he said Mansour I want to tell you something he said sorry for holding you that long for that nothing he said, uh, it's not official, but this is from me. Sorry. When I said goodbye to my brothers and to our animals, it was uh, really hard. We have lived years and years for each other. We have shared our life. We saw those animals get born grown up some of them died uh, some of them get another kitties feed them giving them name play with them it was a part of our life do you want to tell me it's not just the orange color people see or like the shackles or no there was a life there it was a life they put me in the airplane and uh, uh, because of different uh, circumstances in Yemen I am in uh, in Serbia a different country which I don't have society around me family member or friends who are actually part of my life I get to know some people but uh, because the stigma of Guantanamo uh, when they get to know about you they just uh, try to stay away from me so uh, after Guantanamo, I still feel it's like I am hoping to find the love I am looking for. Sometime I walk by the street, I saw two young people, they like... It was like a movie, you can see they love each other. Sometimes I want to be in that feeling, I would like to have the same thing. I would like to love and to be loved. Uh, of course, like, I would like to have a beautiful woman understanding uh i will love her first more than she loves me and uh uh, okay (laughs) was she i don't know i haven't met her yet if i if i met her i will i will let you know i will let you know Life is a journey of love and beauty, and uh, if you can't find that, I am sorry to tell you that you, that you are not alive, you just exist.
0: Mansour Daifi is currently living in Belgrade, Serbia, where the audio you just heard was recorded. Immediately after this interview, Mansour was detained by the Serbian police along with the recording engineer. They were both released later that day, but reporters soon learned that the audio files had been confiscated. Even though Mansour has never been charged with any crime, Serbian authorities have kept him under near-constant surveillance, Mansoor says that government officials have warned him not to talk to the press and have harassed him for doing so previously. Mansoor wants his story to be known. When detainees are released from Guantanamo, the U.S. government sometimes resettles them in countries that are not their own. In Mansoor's case, the U.S. government made an arrangement with Serbia to take him for a period of two years. He has no papers that will allow him to travel and is not able to work. Mansour has not seen his parents in 17 years. The audio was eventually returned, allowing us to bring you this story. According to one of Mansour's lawyers, Beth Jacob, as of November 26 of this year, his legal status permitting him to live in Serbia will be uncertain. Mansour fears that he will be deported to Yemen, where he'll be put in prison or killed. As such, Mansour and his lawyers are actively looking for another country where he might be allowed to live and build a life for himself. As of the time of this broadcast, they have less than two months to do so. Producers of this story have reached out to the Serbian government for comment and have not heard back. Enormous thanks to Mansoor Daifi for sharing his story Mansour is currently writing a memoir about his time at Guantanamo.
1: Love is an art and can be taught. We study medical, we study science, we study about almost like everything. But how we ever thought to give courses, how to make people love each other?
0: The story is produced and edited by Sarah Geis, Crystal Duham, Mira Burt tonic for the CBC podcast Love Me. It was mixed by Crystal Duham. Love Me is hosted by Lou Kowski and their third season drops November 12th, be sure to check it out. You can find a link on our website, snapjudgment.org, along with links to some of Mansoor's writings.
1: I would like to send my regards to my friends at Animals in Guantanamo and tell them, hey, I haven't forgotten about you.
0: When Snap returns, what would you say if you only had 15 minutes to say it? When Snap Judgment, the Love Lessons episode continues, stay tuned. From WNLC Studios and Snap Judgment's underground lair, welcome back the Love Lessons episode. My name is Jim Washington. Now, what if your whole life was reduced to 15-minute phone calls with the outside world? What would you do? What would you say in those 15 minutes? For our next story, producer Anna Clausen. she sent letters to death row inmates in California inviting them to call her and chat. The next 15 minutes, you are about to hear Come from a series of conversations she had with a death row inmate named Marcus Adams. Snap judgment.
2: This is Global
3: Link. You have a prepaid call from Marcus Adams. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. To accept this call, stay
2: or dial 5 now. Five. Hello? Hi, this Marcus? How are you doing, Anna? Hi, I'm great. How are you?
3: Uh... Alive.
2: I contacted you because I want to know what it's like to wait for death on death row. Are you comfortable with talking about death?
3: Yep, I mean... It doesn't make me nervous or jittery or anxious or upset. I'm surrounded by it. I'm surrounded by death. I'm surrounded by people waiting to die. You're you're sitting in a cell all day, and you're waiting to be told, okay, it's time for us to take you to the chamber and execute you. A lot of people view it as mental torture,
2: So can you introduce yourself?
3: My name is Marcus Adams. I'm from Los Angeles, California. When people say, where you from, i just tell them I'm a little sunny. And I'm from a gang called the West Sussex News Springs Harbor Park Bloods. I've been incarcerated for 21 years. I've been in San Quentin prison for the last 15 years.
2: Do you remember the first time that you walked into your cell on death row?
3: Yes. When you first get here, all you have is yourself and your blankets, your sheets, and the clothes that they give you, and that's it. So you immediately start to reflect on the mistakes that put you where you are. When I got put in that cell, I said to myself, you know, this prison is where I'll spend the rest of my life at.
2: So how much time do you spend in your cell?
3: About 20 hours a day. It's like I can stick one arm across and touch the wall of my cell, and then, like, there's no more room for me. Like, this very small. Mm-hmm. It's like a box. Yeah, That's the best way I can describe it. And it has a toilet, a sink, a bed. It has my personal items in it, my TV, my fan. I got food items in here.
2: So do you have people on the outside?
3: Well, when I first came, I had everybody. But after about three to four years, people started dropping off. My mom came to see me in 2009, so she didn't want to come. She never wanted to come see me here because I'm on death row. She told me that she had cancer, and she told me it was a possibility that, you know, she would die within the next year and a half. And so... Yeah, that, that hurt it a lot. And a year later, on my 40th birthday, my mom passed. And so since then, I haven't celebrated my birthday. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Uh, yeah, I used to rob banks for a living. That that started on an accident, the bank robbery stuff. But you How know,
2: so? How
3: do you start robbing banks on accident? When I was 22, I had a check for 280 bucks, And me and one of my homeboys went to go cash my check. And when I put the check on the counter, the lady started putting the money on the counter. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, isn't this a note? Are you robbing us? I said, no, I'm just here to cash my check. My homeboy grabbed the money and left. And so I grabbed the check and I left. And uh, and we started robbing credit unions. Me and the guys would go in and we would rob the banks and try not to hurt no one. The last time we were in the bank and I heard a shot and I looked back and I saw my co defendant shooting another um guy in the leg and when we were leaving the bank I saw I saw the young lady laying on the ground and she was um she was dying. And uh, we got in the car, we left, and then a few days later, I saw my picture on the news. Your life and my life are totally different. You didn't do crime growing up to survive. You didn't sell drugs. You didn't steal or rob or have to carry a gun for protection against other gangs. My life consisted of all of that. But at the same time, I'm a human being and I have the freedom of choice. I knew what I was doing was wrong. And so I took the easy way out and the easy way landed me behind bars. I was caught the same day Princess Diana died, 1997. I escaped from Santa Barbara County Jail, 1998, and we were caught about 45 minutes later. They charged me with escape. They struck me out on the three strikes rule and they gave me 53 years in life in prison. Mm -hmm. And even though I did not kill anyone or shoot anyone, during the bank robbery, because of the California felony murder rule, I was also charged with murder and attempted murder. I received 200 years, and then 19, what was it, 99? I was charged with uh, three counts of murder and
2: so that was an old alleged crime that caught up with you.
3: Yes, they were from the same gang who actually murdered my brother. Even if I was to get my case overturned and I was to get off a death row, I would still have double life of life without parole. I'm still going to die in jail no matter what.
2: So California hasn't executed anyone since two thousand six, but executions are expected to resume next year. Does it in any way feel like death is getting closer?
3: Yep, sometimes. See, to you it seems a long time because you're out there on the streets. But in prison time goes by super fast. You know, twenty one years was a long time ago. But for me, it seems like yesterday. I mean, we're all waiting for death, but waiting for it and you have absolutely nothing else to do but the exact same thing every single day is different. They wanna execute me, they wanna tie me down to a table and they wanna They want to stick needles in me and pump poison in me until I'm dead. You know, I I call this existence. I don't believe that I'm living. I'm not living. I just exist.
2: What are your worst moments like?
3: Um, Being by myself. Being alone. Not having no one to talk to being stuck in the cell every day. Can't go out, can't walk to the park, can't go to museums, you know, can't go it with a female.
2: Yeah. You miss love? To be
3: honest with you, I've never been in love, but I miss the idea of being in love. I always wanted to find a female. I always wanted to find... That love that never dies, that never breaks. Like, have you ever seen that movie? What is the name of it? Um, The Notebook?
2: Yeah, I have.
3: I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's my favorite <laughs> romantic movie. My favorite part is the very end when he climbs in bed with her and they pass away together. That was beautiful. I love it. I love that movie. I've watched it yeah. over 10 times. Like, just because I'm a gang member, that doesn't mean I didn't want love. I didn't want romance. I never found it, but... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I think about my own fate almost every day. I think about the future every day, the past, what I did to get here. I think about the victims. I think about... Will I die in the execution chamber? Will I die of you know, old age? Will I die of natural causes? Uh, I don't know how I will die, but I think about it. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you think people would care?
3: Um, I think that my family care. I think that old friends care, but it's not a really a concern to them because it's not happening at this very moment. So I think the victims, um their families, you know, yeah.
2: Do you think they're waiting for you to die?
3: Well, the individual that died in the bank, her husband um uh, personally told me in my last trial that he would be here for the execution to watch me die. Um, The family of the three individuals that died in 1994, uh, I believe they want to be here also. So if that day comes when I'm tied to a table and executed, you know, if they want to come and watch, if that gives them some type of peace, so be it.
2: So where do you think you will go, heaven or hell?
3: I'm going to heaven. Yeah? Yeah. Why? Because I'm not a bad person. I've never really been a bad person. I've made some bad mistakes.
2: Some big mistakes.
3: (laughs) Yeah, some big mistakes.
2: Right. But they won't keep you from heaven?
3: God forgives. I know what I did was wrong. I can't honestly say that I wouldn't rob a bank because I can't see myself being homeless. I can't see my family suffering. But as for taking another human being's life, I would never do that again.
2: How do you want to die?
3: I guess I would like to die in my sleep. I don't want to be buried. My cell is literally basically a box. And I've been living in these boxes for years, so I'd rather be cremated. And I saw on this PBS show that they can take the um, ashes and turn it into a diamond. So I'd rather have my ashes turned into a diamond.
2: Why do you want to become a diamond?
3: Because I feel like I will still be free. I will be around somebody's neck or on somebody's finger, you know, throughout time. A friend of mine, since I've been incarcerated here, told me I have a daughter. But it was with a girl that, you know, we had a one night stand. And after that one night, I never saw her again. And she told my homeboy that I had a daughter. And he finally wrote me Three years later yeah, you have a daughter named Stacy. And she was born in 1995. It feels fed up.
2: You have 60 seconds remaining.
3: And I know all her life she's wondered who I am, why I'm not there, why did I abandon her, why did I never look for her. And it's because I never knew she existed until 2014. You know, if I ever find her, I would want me to be turned into a diamond and I would want to be with her.
2: What if she doesn't want the diamond?
3: I would tell her in the beginning, you have every right to be angry with me.
2: You have 30 seconds remaining.
3: But whatever you choose to do with your life, no matter what it is, I support you. No matter how she felt, I I, I would always love her. And in my eyes, she would be able to do no wrong.
2: Can you call me back? Um. Are they...
3: Yeah, they're going to take the phone. Okay. Have a beautiful night. Take care.
0: Uh... That story is produced by Anna Clausen. Anna is still in contact with Marcus, and she says he has still not found his daughter and is waiting to find his execution day, you can listen to Snap Judgment, the Love Lessons episode, and know this if you've missed even a moment even a little bit, a tiny bit, you know that it was the most important moment, but not to worry. Because we've got full episodes of the Snap Judgment podcast available right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And when you get to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, go ahead and leave a little review. Tell them how you like the show. Let people know. Facebook, Snap Judgment, Twitter, Snap Judgment. Fly your Snap Flag high. And, and as the clock ticks closer to Halloween, this veil between the living and the dead grows ever more insubstantial. Look through this small window while you can, while you dare, because from Snap Judgment's underground lair, hear supernatural storytelling like you've never heard before. Real people, real stories. Snap Judgment presents spook Find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, But however you find it, please remember to never, ever, never, ever turn off the lights. Staples brought to you by the team that loves everybody. Know that you are loved, especially by this guy. The Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Pat Messini-Miller loves you too. Anna Sussman, not so much. Adiza Egan, she loves the idea of you. When Zagoria likes grapes, Nancy Lopez sees greatness. Liz Mack, she never despairs. Leon Morimoto, never. Shannon Shealy, ever. Eliza Smith is clever. Taylor Cott never, ever was clever. And Jasmine Aguilera, she bowls a 160. And even though this is not the news no way is this the news in fact you could do everything you said you were gonna do when you were five years old except for that dinosaur battle and you would still even then still not be as far away from the news as this is but this is WNYC